Pavlov will start with his punch. Pavlovchuk touches it. It begins. Three seconds. Hondo off the guard. He's got it. Good afternoon and welcome to Celtic Speed. I'm your host, Rich Conti. I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Dr. Andre Snellings of Rotowire. On today's show, we have a couple of great guests. First, we'll talk to Alex Kennedy of Basketball Insiders. Then a bit later, we'll also be talking to Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press. Right now, I'll bring in my co-host. How are you today, Andre? Doing good, Rich. Glad to be here. Great. Well, as the season draws to a close, the Celtics seem to be downshifting and the bright spots seem to get fewer and farther between. A loss to the Sixers was probably the low point, and then the other night the team blew a nine-point lead to the Hawks down the stretch in the fourth in what would have been a nice road win. What do you think about what we're seeing out there? I mean, you know what it is at this point. It's the end of a marathon, and it's the end of a marathon that's not going to have a bright, happy ending for this particular season. So I think we know what there is to know about this team at this point, and they know (laughs) exactly who they are at this point as well. So I think the team and probably the fans will have a little bit of relief um, when the finish line actually gets here this season. Yeah, and one thing I want to talk about is Rajon Rondo. He's made some comments uh, that seem to be showing the type of leadership fans expect out of him, but at the same time, I think fans kind of expected him to maybe carry the team on his shoulders a little bit more. He seems to be keeping his assist numbers kind of at his you know regular career averages, especially kind of once he's getting up to speed from the uh, return from the ACL injury, but he's not really looking for his offense as aggressively as I think some folks might have. Well, what's your take on the situation? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's multiple ways to look at this. For one, Rajon Rondo is who he is. You know, I, I don't know if some people felt like once Pierce and Garnett were gone that Rondo was going to step up and all of a sudden become one of the best offensive players in the league, but that's not him. You know, even when he's fully healthy for a whole season, that's just not him. He's a, a facilitator. He's not a scorer. He's not uh, put the team on my back and I'm going to – carry you to the promised land kind of player. That, that's just not his skill set. And I don't think it's his mindset either. So I, I, I think that I like him saying the right things. And I like the, the um, fact that he's going to be playing major minutes over these last few games, maybe even playing on back-to-backs now, because, you know, it still gives the impression that he is building up after this injury and, and that, you know, he he's not just going through the paces down, you know, down the stretch. So I do like that. But I mean, you know, we, we, we have to be realistic about who Rondo is, especially as we, you know, consider as fans whether we want him to remain a Celtic long term or not. Um, I think there are some good reasons for him to stay. But at the same time, he's not about to turn into the next Magic Johnson. That's just not him. Yeah, I completely agree. I think in a way, he's showing the type of leadership that I had hoped to see in the sense that he's not radically altering his game. You know, He's kind of showing the younger players that really being part of a team means understanding your role and, and doing your job. And his role is, is to be a facilitator and to be a distributor. And, and he's going to do that. And you know, I think there are moments in the game where maybe he'll you know look to get to get to the basket here and there. But I think that just happens within the normal flow of the game. He, he doesn't really 
seem to be pressing the issue or forcing the issue. And, and I think that's the, the type of leadership this team needs rather than a guy who's going to try to hoist everybody up on his shoulders and, and, and win the game with, with hero ball. So. And now you recently contributed an excellent piece on Rotowire. Do you want to tell folks where they can find it and what, what it's all about? Oh, okay. Well, yes, um, I do write for rotowire.com. Um, that's a fantasy sports basketball site. Well, it's a fantasy sports site, and I'm the head basketball writer. Um, so you could go to rotowire.com and um, look for the Hoops Lab. That's my, my weekly article. Um, my name's Andre Snellings. And, um, yeah, uh, I give advice on how to set up and run your fantasy team as, as the season goes along. And now we're at the end, which makes it fantasy playoff time. And so I was giving people advice on how to try to win your league, even if your best players are randomly sitting out games because their teams are resting them or, or for whatever reason. And so, um, you know, I was, I was unco- uncovering a few diamonds in the rough. That's always the playoff uh, fantasy sports conundrum. Uh, just when the when the games mean the most to you, they they seem to mean the the least to uh, some of your best players on your roster, and I'm sure that's uh, frustrating for a lot of folks. So I'm sure they'll find that that uh, really interesting read. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was saying uh, um, earlier today in the interview that in fantasy basketball, you almost pick a team for the first four and a half months of the season, and then you have to move into an entirely different mindset for the last couple of weeks and, and, and just go into scramble mode. And the Indiana Pacers sat their entire starting lineup. And so you had to be paying attention to that to know, hey, I need to pick up Evan Turner and Louis Scola um, because they might throw in 20 and 10 today because, oh, yeah, they're starting and nobody else is. I mean, it's just little things like that. Every day there's a story. And so, um, you know, that, that's what I try to help you stay caught up on. Great. Well, folks should head over to rotowire.com and go check out that piece by uh, our co-host. And uh, certainly if you're in the fantasy basketball playoffs, and uh, you could probably benefit from some of his advice there. Let's go ahead and bring in Alex Kennedy from Basketball Insiders. Our interview with Alex is brought to you by the Boston Sports Connection podcast. For the best Boston sports talk on the web, tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. with host Sean Backey, right here on CLNS Radio. How are you today, Alex? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Good, doing great. Now, uh, I want to start off with the uh, Rajon Rondo situation in Boston. Uh, the opinions seem to be all over the map, you know, with some so many respected insiders around the team feel that this is a long-term situation, yet you hear whispers from a lot of the national writers that uh, a move is impending this summer. And our own Larry H. Russell wrote a couple of trade scenarios earlier this week on CLNSRadio.com where he looked at some possibilities with the Lakers, Knicks, Rockets, and others. Where do you come down on this? Do you think this Celtics will be more aggressive in trying to pair Rondo with a player over the summer to keep him happy, or do you think they're they're expecting to move him? Well, I think both options uh, are still open right now for the Celtics. I think one of the great things that Danny Ainge has done uh, has is you know stockpile assets to give himself different options. Really, he can take this team in either direction. Um, I think right now maybe even Boston doesn't even know what to do with Rondo. They they, they aren't even sure which direction they're going to go in. Um, with all the draft picks that they have, they could either decide to. Uh, you know, build young and keep rebuilding, stockpile this team with young players, uh, and really look toward the future. And in that scenario, I think that's where you probably trade Rondo away, try to get some draft picks back for him. I know at the trade deadline they were talking about possibly moving Rondo for multiple first-round picks. Um, if that's the direction they want to go in, then you, you really focus on the future. I, I think with Rondo's age and the fact that he'll be a free agent after next season uh, and it's unlikely he'd want to stay in a rebuilding situation, that's where you look to trade Rondo I think, for some young pieces or, or draft picks. Um, however, like you said, if they do want to 
flip some of these uh, these draft picks and young players for a star, um, then all of a sudden I think you keep Rondo in Boston, and that really changes things because then you want to have Rondo alongside that star player you can acquire. You know, we, we've all seen Ames do that before, obviously, when he went out and got Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. You know, just because you have a ton of draft picks does not mean that you're going to use all those draft picks. They could just use those as assets to put together a really uh, attractive package and make a move that way. So I think both, uh, you know, both scenarios are still in play right now for Boston. Uh, they, they could really do either. Uh, if they go young, I think Rondo gets traded. If they decide to look for a star player, I think Rondo stays. Uh, and, you know, it really remains to be seen which star player could become available. Kevin Love is obviously someone to watch. He could become available here in the next year. And, uh, if, you know, you're talking about them looking for draft picks and young players, Boston could put together a great package. A team like Phoenix could put together a great package. Um, you know, and other stars will be become available too. Every single year, there's always a few stars that we talk about as being disgruntled and possibly on the trade market. So, Boston has a lot of options at this point. I think that's the great thing about what Ainge has done there. He's really given them a lot of different directions they can still go in order to rebuild and get back into the playoffs in a few years. Stan, with Rondo, you know, we were talking about him a few minutes ago, and just the question is, is he the type of player? that can just take over and carry a team or is he more of a cog that can just fit into a team you know our stance was that he's been showing so far this year that he's not going to change his game and try to become superman because that's not the type of player that he is that he he's a good player a great player but he's not michael jordan he's not magic johnson he's not larry bird that, that that's not in his dna so the question that you just answered um about rondo's potential future let's spin it Based on what do you think? Do you think that Rondo is that guy that the Celtics really could build around? Or do you think that he's more of a supplementary piece and that um, if he gets a max contract, that's, that's overpriced for him, and, and therefore you know they might be better off to consider moving him? I think he's more of a complimentary piece. I think you need to have a star next to him. He's going to elevate the players around him. He's going to play very good defense. But like you said, I mean, he's not a scorer. He's not a guy that can take over and single-handedly lead a team to victory. I mean, he does a lot of great things that uh, are great for winning basketball. We've seen that during Boston's deep postseason runs. And when he ha- when he has players around him, you know that he can find and, and uh, you know get the ball. He- he's an excellent player, and he's a guy that is one of the better point guards in the league. But I-, I think just because he is that kind of facilitator, I think he needs pieces around him. So I, I think if they're able to get a star player like a Kevin Love or a- an elite player, then all then you know I, I think Rondo is going to be fine because he can be that that second option. He can be that complimentary piece. If you're talking about, you know, bringing in a lesser player alongside Rondo and you're asking Rondo to step up and be the number one option and really carry the team, I think that's where Boston's in trouble. So I think that's kind of what they have to weigh. If a really good player becomes available, a star player, an elite player that Rondo can be the complimentary piece alongside, then maybe they go that route. If that player isn't available and, and they're really banking on Rondo to be that superstar for them going forward, I think that's where they should look at maybe trading him and bringing in young players and draft picks and going for more of a traditional rebuild. That's that's my opinion. Um, I'm a big fan of Rondo's game, and he's different than you know so many other point guards and so many other players in the league and what he does on the court and, and how he helps the team win. But in terms of you know his game, I don't think he's that number one option, that guy that can carry you to victory. Like you said, you know he's not going to be your franchise player. That's just my opinion. I think leadership is also part of that. He's improved as a leader, there's no question, and. And this year I've been impressed with what he's done, but I just feel like uh, he still has a way to go in terms of improving as a leader as well. 
And now Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens as well have both kind of emphasized that one of the biggest gaps on the team right now, one of the biggest holes that they need to figure out how to fill and that they'd like to fill this offseason is to get some type of rim protection. Jared Sullinger's been logging a lot of minutes at the five, and he's obviously undersized there. Chris Humphreys, I think, has surprised a lot of folks with his effort this season, but it, he's pretty clearly not a long-term answer. And so what options do you think there are out there, you know, around the league, guys that might hit the market that might be available that, that kind of fit? that bill that's a great question well i think first of all you have to look at the draft um you know boston is going to be positioned going forward to add a ton of players to the draft i think they have something like 20 potential draft picks over the next five years a lot of those are going to be first round picks so you know if they can grab uh, a guy like Joel and in the draft the kansas center who just declared for the draft he's someone that would obviously help them a lot he's someone that has so much potential so much upside um, you know, I talked to scouts that I compare him to Hakeem Olajuwon or Patrick Ewing in terms of his skill set and his footwork, but he's a guy that's a great rim protector too. And he just admitted, uh, you know, throughout the season that he still has to improve defensively and he still has a ways to go before he's going to be an elite defender. But he really just showed this season uh, that he has a lot of potential uh, in that area, that he can become an elite defender. And I think the biggest thing this season was just how much he was able to um, you know, develop from the start of the year to the end of the year. He came into the year extremely raw and inexperienced, and, you know, people really didn't expect him to be a one-and-done breakout kind of player. But the next thing you know, he's being talked about as the number one overall pick and, and really improving his game. So I think uh, in the draft, you know, everyone's talking about Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker and some of these guys, but he could be an option uh, for Boston if they do want to go that route. Um, this summer, I think there are a few different options. Um, if they want to go for a veteran uh, type player, there are a few different guys that they could throw money at. Um, you know, Martian Gortat's available. Greg Monroe's an interesting piece that they could give some money to. He's a restricted free agent in Detroit, so they can match any offer that he receives. But you know, there are a few big men available this summer. It's not a great free agency class in terms of uh, in terms of centers and protectors, but there are some options there. Uh, but really, I mean, in, in trade, it's kind of up in the air at this point. I'm not, I'm not really positive, uh, you know, which players are going to be available this summer in terms of who's going to be on the market. Uh, you know, that, that usually becomes more clear around draft night. That's when we start to hear some of the players that could be on the market. But, um, you know, I, I think Embiid would be the, the perfect option for Boston. That's just my opinion. That's interesting. Um, you know, especially kind of following up on um, the discussion we were just having with Rondo, I'm actually pretty high on Embiid myself. Um, I, I like his ability, as as you mentioned, as a rim protector, and that's something that not only does Boston not have it, but there there aren't a lot of those players in the NBA right now. So I think he'd be great, a great asset. But um, we were just talking about how the team is missing or lacking a, a number one option. And in this draft, if you got a choice between, say, getting that rim protector and Embiid or getting a potential number one option in Andrew Wiggin, I mean, assuming the Celtics drafted that high, would you pick the rim protector, or do you think you should swing for the fences and go for that potential number one option? Well, there are people who have said that Embiid could be the best player to come out of this draft, and I think a lot of people love his offensive game, too, the fact that he really improved a lot on the offensive end. Uh, you know, he has some post moves. He has excellent footwork. He's really graceful. He has a great basketball IQ. There are a lot, there are a lot of things to like about him on the offensive end, too, but in terms of you know, perimeter score, I think it really depends where Boston pitched. If you look at, you know, this draft, I think uh, with how the standings look right now, uh, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Orlando, Utah, they could all be picking ahead of ahead of Boston. So by the time Boston picks, you know, unless they jump on 
uh, in the lottery, you know, Wiggins, Parker, some of these guys could be gone. So I think that's where Embiid could be a good option. But if Boston does, uh, you know, end up with one of the top two or three picks, then uh, that's a tough decision. There's no doubt about it. I think that's where you really have to get get in front of these guys, talk to them, go through the free draft process. I think with Embiid, the big thing is going to be how he his back checks out. Um, you know, he obviously didn't play in the tournament. He had some back issues. If his back checks out and uh, and he is healthy and there's no concerns there, you know, it's possible that he could be a top overall pick. Milwaukee really likes him a lot. That's been reported throughout the year that Milwaukee, you know, really values him and thinks that he could be a long-term answer for them. Um, so it's possible that he could be off the board, actually, in Boston picks. But if his back is fine, I would go Embiid. I've become a really big Embiid fan throughout this, this season. Um, I have questions about Wiggins and Parker and some of these other guys that are at the top of the board. Obviously, there's some questions about Embiid, too, but I just feel like he could really develop into a special player. And uh, I just love the, uh, the development that he showed from the start of the year to the end of the year. Um, and just how much he surprised people. I really like Embiid a lot. So if it were me picking and I just had, you know, a completely open roster and um, I-, I could go Wiggins, Parker, Embiid, I think I would go Embiid if his back checks out. And each week, Alex, we like to take a question from one of our fans. And the Celtics Beat fan question of the week this week comes from TJ Brady. TJ wants to know, of names like Brooke Lopez, Aaron Aflalo, and Omer Sheik, what does the future entail for these three guys and who could help out any team? Well, those are three guys who could all be available. And actually, there you go. He, he hit on it right there. And that's a rib protector that could be available that I wasn't thinking about. Omer Sheik is someone who could definitely be traded this summer. Um, Houston obviously tried to move him earlier in the year. They had the deadline that they set for themselves, and then they passed on it. They went to the trade deadline, continued to try to shop for, uh, you know, a suitor for a uh, sheet, but they couldn't find anyone. But I think this summer they'll try to move him. It really doesn't make sense for them to have, um, you know, a starting caliber center behind Howard, give him all this money, especially when they have other holes on that roster they need to fill. So if they can find a way to move him, possibly pair him with someone else, uh, then that, I think they'll try to do that. I think, uh, you know, moving a sheep also allows them to be a player in free agency as well. They have some different holes that they want to fill. So a sheik is definitely someone who you're going to hear a lot about this summer. The Rockets, I assume, right after the playoffs end, you know, when, when the season ends, they're going to get back to trying to move him. Um, Eric Aflalo, his situation is kind of interesting because Orlando does love having him around those young players. Um, you know, he's been great in that locker room, helping Victor Oladipo, helping Mo Harkless, Tobias Harris, all these young guys. He's been a great leader for them. That really started last offseason. He was pushing everyone, made sure everyone got into the gym early. And he said he's going to do the same thing this summer and really make sure that they're all working hard. So I think Orlando likes having him there as that veteran. I was surprised they didn't trade him at this last year's deadline. I thought that would have been a great time to do it. His stock was extremely high. He was playing extremely well. But they wanted to hold on to him. Um, so I, I think uh, the same thing happened this summer. Unless a great offer presents itself, um, I, I think uh, they'll probably hold on to him. He could be available. They're going to obviously weigh all their options. They're not attached to anyone right now in Orlando. I think everyone could be available for the right price. So they'll weigh their options there and, and see what's, uh, what's out there. But um, I think uh, he's probably someone that his name will come up, but they may hold on to him. Brooke Lopez is tough. I think that's a tough one. They're playing so well right now without him since he went down with the injury. They're, they're a completely new team since January. Uh, but he is someone that does have value around the league. I think he could help them if he were in the lineup. His contract and his injury history makes it tough, too. So his name will come up, I'm sure, but I'm not sure he goes anywhere either. Interesting. So if you had a choice of those three players, 
who do you think would be the best fit for the Celtics? Is it a Sheik because he's the rim protector? Or um, do you like a Flalo or Lopez bring to the table? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, I think it really depends what they'd have to give up. I think, um, you know, a Sheik is probably going to be available. He's going to be the guy that's the most attainable, I think. Um, Lopez is really attractive because he's 26 years old. He could be part of that core going forward for Boston. So, uh, but, I, but then again, you know, I think – Brooklyn's going to be asking for a lot for him. Uh, even though he's had the injuries, um, even though he has that contract, you know, Brooklyn's not just going to give Brook Lopez away. He's a guy that can really score the ball down low. He's a great post scorer. Um, whereas, you know, with the Sheik, I think you look at Houston, they're in a situation where they really have to get rid of him if they want to make any kind of upgrade. They don't really have much, uh, you know, room to, to add to that roster, add talent, if they don't move a sheep. So they need to move him to be players in free agency, and he's really their only trade chip at this point because they don't want to part ways with Harden or Beverly. Obviously, they don't want to move Howard. So uh, they, they have to move a sheep this summer, I think. Whereas, you know, Brooklyn, they, they're not really in a position where they have to move Lopez, and they can ask a lot for him. So I think, uh, you know, if they can get Lopez and not to give up too much, that would be very interesting. Uh, and he becomes a guy that can be that scorer down low, uh, and he's shown he can do it. Obviously, he's a not a great rebounder, not a great defender, but there there are many players that can that can score the ball better than him in the post. So I, I think Lopez could be interesting. Um, but, you know, I think Sheik's probably the more attainable, realistic target. Now, Avery Bradley of the Celtics is a restricted free agent this season, uh, this offseason. And earlier in the year, Danny Ainge reached out to his representative and tried to see if they could uh, strike a deal and that the sides were pretty far apart. What's Bradley's value around the league? Is that something that the, the Celtics are going to expect, uh, you know, potentially an offer to come from another team that they're going to be in a, forced into a decision as to whether to, you know, to, to maybe match a uh, salary at a greater level than they, they were initially thinking they would have to go for to retain Bradley? Yeah, I think that was Boston. It's not like a bit against themselves. I actually uh, talked with Bradley uh, about a month ago about the situation. He basically said he didn't want to get involved. He let his agent handle everything, but that he does want to stay in Boston, that he loves Boston. Uh, so he, he's hoping he can stay there. Um, and I think Boston will keep him. I, I think they just didn't want to, you know, bid against themselves. So they're going to let some other team uh, come in and, and make a make an offer, and then from there they can go ahead and match it. And that way they're not, you know, giving him some crazy offer when no other team was going to go that high. I think it's smart for teams to do this. You know, some teams just refuse to to give extensions. You know, we've seen that in Houston in the past where, um, you know, for a long time they, they basically said we're not going to give any player an extension. Uh, and we're just going to not bid against ourselves, and we're going to make some player go out and, and you know, find an, an offer sheet, and then we'll match it. So just because he, they didn't get an extension done doesn't mean that, you know, they're going to let Bradley walk or they're going to part ways with him. I think if you're Danny Ainge, you have to keep uh, Bradley. He's a very attractive asset. Um, you know, if you have him locked up, not only then can you trade him, but, you know, he can be part of this team going forward. So I think Bradley's probably staying in Boston. And it's just a matter of him going out and finding an offer sheet, and they can match it. You know, I love his game. I think he has a lot of value around the league. Um, he's a great premier defender, obviously. He's improving as a scorer. I think this is a big year for him. You know, with everyone else kind of out, with Rondo out at the beginning of the year, with Pierce and KG gone, he was really able to step up and show what he can do. So I like his game a lot. I think he's probably staying in Boston, but he needs to go out and find an offer sheet, and then uh, I think Boston will match him from there. And how about a guy like Jeff Green? What do you think uh, his future might be in uh, in in Green? <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think you know he has one more year left on his deal that's guaranteed, and then from there he has a player option for nine point two million. So uh, usually, you know, if a player only has nine million dollars uh, on a player option, they'll want to opt out. 
uh, so they can secure our long-term long-term deal. Which really is tough uh, with his value, just because he's been so inconsistent. You know, sunlight feels great, but he looks like uh, a guy that can be a great option, a great number one option for the Celtics. Other nights he disappears, and that happens for stretches too, where he plays great, then he then he has a few down games. So that's frustrating. I think that kind of kept him from being someone that teams going to throw a ton of money at. Um, I, I think he probably opts out of that player option after next season and tries to get a long term deal, but. I don't think he has the same value that Avery Bradley does, but I think uh, he's someone that could be a long-term option for, for Boston, but um, just because, you know, I, I don't think other teams are throwing a ton of money at him, but it really depends what, what direction Boston goes in. I, I had a follow-up I wanted to ask you about Humphrey, but before we leave Green, um, again, our own uh, Larry H. Russell wrote an article about the worst Celtics in history uh, last week, and he included Green on that list because he just does not like you know, the effort and the production that he sees and or, or the roundedness of his game. Do you think Green is worth keeping around long-term, or do you think that he's someone that, that maybe the Celtics should just let go if he declines that player option? It really depends how much money he's asking for. If he's asking for for less money uh, and he's willing to come down a little bit, I think it's worth keeping him. Uh, because, like I said, there have been times where he's played really, really well. You know, he's averaged 16 points this year. Hasn't been that efficient, but he is a guy that has produced a little bit. Um, and he's shown stretches where he's been great. If he can become more consistent, then all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who's very productive and really helps Boston moving forward. Um, and if he's willing to take less money, then, you know, he could be a bargain. If he wants more money and he's asking for a big, a big deal or he wants to, you know, match that $9 million salary over the next few years, uh, I think that's where you let him walk. There's better options out there for that money. And I think it'd be more important at that point for Boston to, keep their cap flexibility than locking in a ton of money to Jeff Green uh, with how inconsistent he's been. Uh, he hasn't shown that he's worth a ton of money or a long-term deal. Um, and I think if he wants to go try to find that kind of contract from another team, he's going to have a hard time finding that as well. So, yeah, it's a tough thing. I wouldn't say he's one of the worst Celtics <laughs> ever. I think that's a bit much. But I agree that, you know, at some point you have to walk away from him and say, you know, he's not worth this kind of money. He's not worth this kind of long-term deal. So let's see what else is out there. Let's not lose our cap flexibility over this guy. Before you go, Alex, one thing I wanted to ask you about is one of the most interesting stories as the season comes to a close is the real disintegration of the Indiana Pacers. They started out the season clearly as at least the class of the East, if not the entire the, the entire NBA. And over the last three, four weeks, they've just completely struggled to the point where you know, Frank Vogel just rested all of the starters the other night. And uh, what's your take on the situation? Is this just kind of end of the season doldrums and they're going to get their act back together for the playoffs? Or does this team really have uh, chemistry issues, uh, particularly after Danny Granger, who was kind of a leader on that team, was, was dealt away? I'm really concerned. I don't think it's just something that they can click back on and be fine for the postseason. This is a team that now, you know, after dominating early in the year, on the offensive end, they're struggling with basic concepts like making entry passes and setting good screens um, and protecting the ball. It's just been ugly this year. They can't score the ball. Paul George, he's had some off-court issues and hasn't been able to um, you know, be the same player, be the elite player that we saw in the beginning of the year lately. He's really struggling. Roy Hibbert's struggling. Um, and I think you're right. Danny Granger, the fact that they traded him, I think that's really hurt of this team. Whenever they made that move, they were trying to upgrade their talent. They thought bringing in Evan Turner would be great. Signing Andrew Bynum would really help them. Um, but really, I think they really uh, over- overlooked Danny Granger's importance to that locker room. I think they thought that, you know, Paul George and Roy Hibbert and some of these guys were, were mature enough and were veterans now, so they'd have 
you know, a fine time stepping up and being that leader that David West could handle it. But Brancher was Paul George's big brother. You know, he was Grant Stevenson's mentor, and they're really missing him now. So I think that's evident. Um, and that hasn't helped that Turner really hasn't fit in at all and, and been able to contribute. You know, he, he's not efficient off the bench. He's not moving the ball around. He's not playing good defense. So Turner had not, had not been a good fit with this team. Um, and I think the biggest, the biggest concern in Indiana right now is the fact that they're pointing fingers and calling each other out. You know, you have Roy Hibbert calling guys selfish. You have Stevenson and Hill, you know, getting separated on the bench during the San Antonio blowout. Um, this team is just imploding right now, and uh, I'm not sure resting at all the starters is the right option. I get that you want to make sure that they're, you know, in shape and rested for the postseason, um, but I think there's still issues here that the Indiana needs to play through. Um, so I-, I am concerned about the Pacers. It wouldn't surprise me if, in the postseason, you know, one of these teams in the, in the beginning of the uh, the playoffs were able to, you know, really challenge them. I don't think they'll lose early on just because, you know, the East is so near as competitive as the West is. If they were in the West right now, I'd be really concerned about them getting sent home in the first round even. Um, but could they be challenged more than we all expected in the first round? Uh, absolutely. I, I'm definitely concerned with this Pacers team. But I don't think they can just turn things back on come postseason time. I think they have some real issues they need to address. Well, we're going to find out in a few few short weeks. It'll uh, be interesting to see if they're able to challenge the Heat for the Eastern Conference title, as many folks thought they would earlier in the year. So this has been Alex Kennedy for BasketballInsiders.com. You can find Alex's work there, and you can follow him on Twitter at AlexKennedyNBA. Well, thanks for joining us today, Alex. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Well, great stuff there by Alex Kennedy, Andre. What did you think about some of his comments about the possible options for the Celtics you know, to fill that rim protector role. You know, I know he mentioned Joel Embiid, uh, who's going to be in the draft. He also mentioned Omer Ashik when we were talking about the Celtics fan beat question of the week. Um, another name that, uh, you know, I think might actually be out there this summer is Larry Sanders. Alex mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks being particularly high on Embiid, and if they are in a position to draft the center out of Kansas, certainly that makes Sanders expendable. And he's he's had a difficult go of it this season, but uh, do you think he's the type of guy that Ainge might look to kind of plug into that that five spot? I could see him looking at, at Sanders as value, especially if they can get him a little cheaper because he had such a down year this year. And I was really impressed by what I saw from him last season. So assuming that this year was a, uh, a hiccup in the road, I think he could fill that rim protector role pretty well. But actually, I really like the Omer Ashik option if it comes available. I think that Rim protection, or really even a better way to say it is interior defense, is is one of the most valuable commodities in the NBA. And the way that the NBA is set up now with the the extra offense rules, having an interior uh, player that you can use to kind of anchor your defense and that's mobile enough to actually challenge all the way around the paint, I think is really important. And a chic has shown now in multiple seasons for multiple teams that he can do that. He, he he can be a rim protector. He gobbles the rebounds. I think he averaged 16.7 rebounds a game last week, you know, when with with Howard out of the lineup. So and and he doesn't need to take a lot of shots. And I think that's the other the other side of it. Interior offense I don't think is as valuable as is made out to be. And so I kind of like the idea of someone that's able to to Get, have the impact on defense without needing to rock on offense. So, so I really like a sheet there. 
Yeah, I think it's important, particularly for the Celtics, and I think maybe part of what figures into Ainge's thinking here is you've got Jared Solinger on the roster right now, who you know is playing out of position at the five most of the time right now, but has shown he's capable, even at his you know slightly smaller stature of at least vertically uh, of being able <laughs> to uh, you know score the ball on the interior and to kind of be a force. And of course, if not Solinger, a lot of Celtics fans are have their eye toward Kevin Love, who we 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 talked about a bit with with Alex as being that guy that they could maybe acquire, probably include Sullinger in such a deal and can bring in that second star to play alongside Rondo. But if you do that, you know, again, another guy who is, you know, certainly capable of, of scoring, uh, you know, a volume of points uh, for both inside and outside at the, at the four position. So that really, I think, takes some of the pressure off of looking for, you know, your Al Jefferson type of uh, guy at the five and really wanting to, you know, put an emphasis on somebody who can really defend the basket since that's not Sullinger strong point nor Kevin Love if, if you're looking to you know make Boston an attractive place to to bring in so I, th- I think that's factoring into the thinking what what are some of the other needs kind of as this you know season has unfolded and we've started to get a grasp of you know maybe what pieces the Celtics have and what pieces they're missing what do, what do you think are some other holes that you know, the team is going to need to figure out how to fill over the next during the next offseason and, and and into 2015 yeah I mean I think kind of as Alex alluded to the Celtics really need a perimeter scoring number one option. He doesn't have to average 30 points a game, you know, not necessarily that guy, but they need to have somebody that they can rely on late in games that can create his own shot, that can create shots for teammates and is a good enough passer to get it there. Um, You know, Rondo is wonderful at what he does, but we also, he, he needs, he needs someone else out there on the perimeter that's able to do what he doesn't do, and, and, and that's score the rock. And so that and a rim protector, I mean, th- those, are the, those are the two obvious empty slots. I really like Avery Bradley and what he can do. I like his defense. I like his, you know, growing offensive game. I like <laughs> the potential of what Jeff Green could be if it all ever clicked. I don't know that that will ever happen. So it, it just seems to me that that, that three slot – might be an obvious area of potential upgrade, be it through the draft or be it trade or, or big free agent. But sometime over the next, if it's a two-year window for the team trying to really compete again, I think that's one of the slots along with that uh, interior defensive big man that, that they'll have to have. Yeah, I think if you look at Sullinger as your four going forward, that I think you do need a more consistent scoring threat out of the, the three position that we're currently getting from from Jeff Green and you know if if instead you know you're able to make a deal and bring in a Kevin Love at the four I think that changes the calculus a little bit and I think you know, you could get away with having a, a Jeff Green at the three kind of being that that number three option or maybe even a number four option um, not kind of relying on him carrying the team offensively every night so well, next we've got Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press, and our interview with Brian is brought to you by the world-renowned BeatsAndEats.net. Food, comedy, pop culture, and just about anything, that's BeatsAndEats.net. Well, thanks for joining us today, Brian. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Now, we know you're around the Brooklyn Nets a lot, and last week we had Ian Eagle on the show, and he said he feels Paul Pierce will be back on a two-year deal next year with the Nets, while Garnett's future is obviously a bit more cloudy. What have you been hearing? Well, I, I think they would like to have him back. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, he didn't play great. Uh, it was a tough adjustment, I think, on both sides, uh, especially for Paul having to leave a place where he'd been all his career and coming to a, 
you know, a new location and everything. Uh, the first couple months were were not smooth at all, but I think the last couple of months have been great, and uh, you know, he seems to, to fit nicely now. I think they're happy with the way things have gone. So, uh, yeah, his age, you know, there's probably going to be some interest, but but not a you know a great you know large contract level interest. I think the Nets will give him something that would be uh, you know welcome to him, and uh, I could definitely see both sides being happy to do it again. How do you feel about um, Brooklyn's chances in the playoffs with uh, Indiana seemingly falling for whatever reasons? Um, is Are the Nets the only real threat to Miami? Well, it's interesting. I mean, obviously we've seen that Brooklyn beat Miami four times. I think they are a team that's built to beat Miami. Uh, the problem that, you know, that Brooklyn has is getting there, I think. Uh, you know, right now they're matched up against Chicago without home court advantage. So, uh, you know, the Bulls are almost, you know, as good as, as anyone in the league as far as in a playoff series, the way they defend, uh, you know, the, the, the adjustments they can make with Tom Thibodeau and his defense and everything like that. So, uh, you know, if the Nets get through that, I would love to see them play Miami. I think Miami would prefer anybody other than the Nets the way they've matched up with them. Uh, but the Nets have a, probably as tough a first round series as anybody right now having to go through Chicago on the road. Yeah, that'll certainly be a, a war. And, you're talking about Miami and the Heat. Uh, is this another uh, LeBron MVP this year, or is there a chance that Durant is kind of edged ahead of him in the MVP race this season? Yeah, you know, not only do I think Durant wins, I agree with what Doc Rivers said last night. I, I would have Blake Griffin, too. Uh, you know, what the Clippers have done winning the division and, and the way he played when Chris Paul was out, I would adventure him ahead of LeBron. I mean, LeBron's been great. LeBron's the best player in the league. We know that. But, you know, Miami is – uh, not quite as dominant as they were last year when they had that spectacular run in the second half of the season with a long winning streak. Uh, you know, and Durant just, he's raised his game to such an all around level now with Westbrook being out as long as he was and you know, Durant shooting 50%, you know, 40% on threes. Uh, I mean, just, you can't ask to do much more than he's done with the assist and rebound numbers up. So uh, I would, I would lean Durant one and I would, I would go Griffin two and I'd go LeBron three if I was voting. Speaking of Griffin and, and kind of shifting out west, the Spurs went on their yearly run in March. Um, we had Brent Berry on the show a few months ago, and he said that they just seem to be missing something this year. Do you agree with that? Do you think they're missing something, or do you think we're, we're in for another Spurs uh, finals appearance? Well, I, I don't know what they're missing. Uh, you know, certainly it's been a great run, and I think they're better than they were last year. Last year I was a little surprised they got to the finals, and, and I thought once they did, I thought Miami would handle them you know, pretty, not easily, but I think I predicted six games at the time. I thought Miami was just going to be too all-around tough for them, and it turns out, you know, Miami barely got by. Uh, you know, the Spurs right now, I think, have improved. I think, obviously, Ginobili was not healthy like he is this year. He's basically stayed injury-free. Uh, he's got a much better rhythm than he was last year. Uh, we've seen the improvement of guys like Patty Mills off the bench. Uh, Leonard has added more to his game. Uh, I like the Spurs better than I did last year. The, the only issue I have with the Spurs is they can't beat the Thunder. Uh, that's just a matchup that is, is doesn't work out for them. Uh, you know, we saw a couple of years ago when Oklahoma City was down 2-0 to them in the West Finals, came back and won four in a row uh, to win that series. They've, uh, you know, won the season series now this year, to, uh, dominated them. So I think San Antonio beats anyone else in the West except the Thunder. And obviously right now, uh, you know, they're one, two, the, you know, the Spurs would have home court advantage of the way things are set up currently, but 
even if uh, the Thunder have to go on the road for that series, they feel very confident, rightfully so. They've uh, they've dominated that series the last couple of years like no one else has against the Spurs. And uh, I think San Antonio, as good as they are, needs someone to knock Oklahoma City out first to win the title. That's interesting. I've actually made um, a similar case uh, over the last couple of months myself that I see the Western Conference shaping up kind of like musical chairs, you know, that, that the Spurs could be the representative, the Thunder could be the representative, maybe even the, the Clippers, but it's all about matchups. And so you feel that if someone beats the Thunder, the Spurs would make it. So does that mean that under no circumstances do you see the Clippers as a potential final team? You know, it's funny. I picked the Clippers uh, before the season, and I feel like you should never back off your pick unless someone gets hurt or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I, I should stick with the Clippers. It's, you know, I, I tend to like what the, the Spurs were better than I thought they were going to be. But, you know, overall, going into the season, I liked what the Clippers were, and certainly they're great. Uh, you know, they lost uh, you know, the recent game to the Thunder, which was, uh, you know, at home. They would like to have won that one to give them a chance to get up to that number two seed. But uh, obviously, I think they're the deepest team overall, the Clippers. They can bring guys off that bench with great experience. Uh, you know, they have, you know, two of the best guys of their position in Chris Paul and, and Griffin, who we alluded to. Uh, the defense has gotten better. Uh, Jordan's terrific. Uh, having Doc Rivers gives them a, something they didn't have the last couple of years, a true championship-level coach. Uh, but, again, you just look at it every day, and I've talked to other guys about this feel the same way. Almost every day, almost every week, you feel like you change your mind in the West. You see the Spurs win so many games in a row, and you say, okay, no, 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 it's them. Then you see the Thunder handle them, and you say, no, 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 I like the Thunder again. And it's just hard to stick with it. Uh, you know, the Rockets have gone on nice runs here and there. We've seen uh, the Trailblazers earlier go on a great run. Uh, everyone has shown that they are good enough to win that West, and it's just a matter of only one team can do it. Now, we mentioned the Pacers' struggles earlier. Do you think they'll right the ship once the playoffs start, or are they in danger of not making it to the conference finals as many kind of assumed they would earlier in the season? You know, it's gone on so long, now I am worried about it. Uh, you know, when it first kind of happened, I said every team has their struggles uh, late in the year sometimes. You know, after the trade deadline, you make a move like they did, bringing in Evan Turner, and it takes a while to get the chemistry right again when you change your rotations. And But it's taken them so long, and some of the comments you hear out of the locker room, the not having an answer, the, the frustration out of Roy Hibbert's mouth and everything, uh, there is a concern now. Now, obviously, uh, you know, they're going to have, a, you would think, a first-round matchup they should be able to, to handle easily, and then maybe they play their way back into a rhythm. But while they've struggled, we've seen teams like Brooklyn, Toronto, Chicago all get better. So suddenly this automatic Eastern Conference final that we thought, Miami, uh, Indiana, it's not automatic anymore. Uh, most people will still predict it, I think. Uh, it's probably, you know, the most likely scenario, but uh, it's not the foregone inclusion it was based on, you know, the struggles the Pacers have had lately. That's interesting. So the season is, I mean, is drawn to a close. So as you look at the the year as a whole, what's been the biggest surprise for you? Well, I think some of the teams that we discounted, uh, you know, a team like Phoenix has been a, you know, a tremendous surprise, uh, and a team like Toronto, you know, going into the season, we had this lengthy list of teams that were going to be tanking. And, uh, you know, Phoenix was at the top of the list with the, the moves they had made and not made and all the draft picks they have coming up the next couple of years. And uh, Toronto said this is a, a definite tanking team. You know, they're going to, you know, looking for an excuse to fire Dwayne Casey and bring in their own guy now. And uh, 
all of a sudden you look at, you know, these are, uh, Toronto's going to be a division champion. They're on the verge of that and, and possibly a number three seed. Uh, Phoenix, you know, belongs in a playoff. They may not make it because the West is so good. If they were in the East, they would be fighting for home court advantage. Uh, so things like that have been a surprise. Uh, I think we kind of learned a lesson this year that uh, not to underestimate some of the players based on what we think the organization's doing because the organization may have one thing in mind, but if you have uh, guys like Agoran Dragic, guys like Kyle Lowry and, and DeMar DeRozan, uh, I don't care what the organization thinks they're doing. The players can have a totally different thing in mind, and, uh, and uh, those teams are two of the most fun teams in the league to watch some nights. Now when the dust settles, who do you think ends up on top this year? Is it Miami again? Uh, you know, I think Miami's beatable, and uh, I know it's a cop-out answer to, to say I'm not sure what's going to be, but I just think uh, the things they've done here, are, they're not on the level they were last year. Uh, you know, I, Wade has been out so long now, I think there's going to be a rhythm issue they have. Even LeBron alluded to it after they lost in Memphis, where he basically said, "Where you know, our guys haven't played together enough. Uh, you know, Greg Oden has been a you know a non-factor as far as bringing him in there. Uh, so they they've got some issues now. Whether whether the Pacers get get their act together, uh, I you know I think the Pacers top to bottom are a better team than Miami. Uh, lately, they have not showed it. But if they get their act back together, I think the Pacers can do it. I think the Clippers can beat them. I think the Spurs can beat them. So it's uh, you know the Thunder have not shown they can beat Miami enough lately. So I'm not sure if it's another you know Durant Lebron final. I would tend to think Miami can pull that out. But anyone else of those three or four teams I named, I think the Heat are beatable, and I think someone is going to beat them this year. You know, uh, do you think that any big names will be on the move this summer? Well, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, obviously. You know, Carmelo Anthony in New York, where I'm based out of, uh, a lot of people tend to think he's leaving. Uh, I, I still think the Knicks find a way to keep him. I think he loves New York, but the struggles they've had this year have really opened a door to the point where a lot of people think uh, he's ready to go to move on. Um, you know, LeBron, I'm not sure about. I think he's got to look at the fact of Dwayne Wade's health. Uh, you know, I, LeBron is comfortable in Miami. I think, you know, a couple of years ago, people might have been able to get him out pretty easily. Now I think his family's settled there. They've had great success. He believes in Pat Riley. Uh, but, you know, he's supposed to go down there to win with Wade and, and, and uh, Bosch. And we've seen right now Wade can't stay on the floor enough. And that's put a lot of burden on LeBron, having to play a lot of, a lot of minutes. And I think he's got to consider whether or not they can do this uh, going forward, uh, if Wade's not a part of it as much as he's been. So it's uh, going to be interesting to watch. I think this summer is obviously not as exciting as it was in, in 2010 when, you know, when we thought for sure Bosch was also going to be on the move. We weren't sure what Wade was going to do. Uh, that was a really interesting summer. Stoudemire was a free agent back then. Uh, this time around, maybe not quite as exciting, but certainly it's going to be interesting. And uh, those are a couple big-time names, uh, two of the top guys in the league, when you look at just LeBron and Carmelo, who we have to keep an eye on. Now, you talk about the Knicks situation and Carmelo. What's the reaction in New York to Phil Jackson taking the helm for the Knicks, and can he ultimately coexist with James Dolan? Well, I, there's hope of that. Uh, you know, there's also a lot of people who think it ultimately will fall apart because no one else has been able to. And Dolan has eventually, uh, you know, made some moves that have annoyed his basketball people, and it just doesn't doesn't work. Uh, you know, Phil Jackson here supposedly has the complete power, the complete autonomy. Uh, James Dolan said he this time he's really going to stay out of the way. This is a guy who he believes can fix things up, and he won't meddle in it. Um, you know, the other problem we don't know for sure, guys, is Phil Jackson's never done this job before. Uh, so, 
you know, if the Knicks brought him in the coach, I think there would be complete excitement from the fan base as far as, okay, now we've got a guy who is the best of all time maybe with 11 championships. But they're bringing in a guy who the bottom line is has never done this before, and, you know, they probably for a lot cheaper could have found an executive who has had a great track record in this league. So there, there's, uh, I would say, hope and optimism, but also some trepidation on this. And, uh, you know, I, I hope it works out for Knicks fans because, you know, it was great to see them actually have a, you know, a good season last year when they won the division title and, and uh, suddenly people believing they could actually do this because, uh, you know, in the eight or ten years I've been covering them, that was really, I'd say, almost all of them. They go into the season with no hope at all. And, uh, you know, by... You know, by the All-Star break, the Knicks are out of it. And it's just, uh, you know, for a great city like New York, a great arena like Madison Square Garden, uh, to have it be, you know, dormant is just not the way, uh, the, you know, the best thing for this league, I think. I think it's great when the Knicks are good, and hopefully Phil Jackson can find a way to make them that way again. We talked a little bit before about what big names might be on the move this summer. What teams do you think might be the most aggressive this summer? Well, you know, we know the Lakers obviously are going to have money to spend, and this has been a disappointing year for them. Uh, you know, uh, early on in the year, we heard they were going to be in the mix for LeBron or Carmelo. I don't know that they'll get to that level, but they've got money to spend. Uh, you know, they've got to find a way to they have a high draft pick. They've got to turn things around uh, quickly. Uh, you know, we know, you know, Phoenix has draft picks if they want to try and move one now. Uh, you know, obviously they're further along than we thought going into the season. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see what they do. Uh, Houston has been active for a couple of years in a row making moves, and they still have money to make another move here. You know, people have talked about them trying to bring a, a third guy in to play with Harden and, and Dwight Howard. I think that's going to be real interesting to see because, you know, if they can, they're not far away now when you look at what they've been able to do just in a couple of years and, you know, get one more piece in there with what they've already got, and suddenly they look like a powerhouse in the West. So, uh, you know, just alone three teams right there to start with are going to be really interesting to watch. And, uh, you know, I think Dallas, uh, you know, Mark Cuban's always going to be active. Uh, you know, he wants to, you know, always trying to find the right guy, to, you know, to get Dirk one more chance at a, at a title. Uh, so that's something to watch. And, you know, Miami themselves, based on what, you know, what the big three decide to do. Obviously, they can all opt out. They can all become free agents. Uh you know, do they think that this group going forward is the way people said last year? If they didn't win, they might try and make a move. Uh, and obviously, this year they're another year older. I think you know you've got LeBron and Bosh still at the top of their games. Wade is maybe not at this point. Uh, you know, do they? You know, do those guys decide to you know to opt in? Do they decide to opt out? Do the Heat want all three back? Uh, I think that's a great place to look as well. It's a you know a team that's played in the last three finals suddenly may have to you know do it all over again and figure out a new new strategy. So uh, a lot of teams this summer and some of the big markets going to be very busy. I think. Well, a lot of great NBA talk from Brian Mahoney of Associated Press. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you. Well, folks, you can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian C. Mahoney. Well, Andre, great stuff there by Brian. I really liked uh, how he basically covered the entire league there. It was uh, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, what I really liked was his talk about the biggest surprises um, because, you know, we really did all come into the season expecting teams like Phoenix and Toronto to really not be that much this year. So for them to be legitimate playoff teams, I mean, whether Phoenix makes it or not is a function of the ridiculousness of the West, but for for them to be legitimate teams, like I don't think anybody saw it coming. 
do you have any thoughts on on why they were able to surprise us like this? Yeah, it's interesting to me. And, you know, Phoenix gets a lot of the attention, and deservedly so, you know, for their play out in the West. I think Toronto kind of gets a little bit of short shrift here, a little kind of flies a bit under the radar. I think a lot of folks just assume, well, they're doing well because, you know, the East has, uh, you know, struggled really most of the season and has so many bottom feeders. But if you look at their numbers, you look at their win-loss record, you look at some of their, uh, you know, other teams' statistics, they've turned into a solid team, and they're a legitimate, you know, three or four seed in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, while that is not saying quite the same as in the Western Conference, I think it's still, you know, pretty impressive for a team that many folks thought would be in the in the tank race. And I don't know, I think he hit, hit it on the head. You know, the players have their own agenda, and you've got guys, two guys for me are the point guy, the point guards, Kyle Lowry and Goran Dragic. And, you know, I'm a big fan of great point guard play, particularly unselfish point guard play, and I think both of those guys really do a great job of kind of orchestrating their team and, and driving them to success. Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. And, um, you know, kind of sticking with Toronto, it's interesting because, as might have come up uh, in conversations in the past, I'm a basketball nerd. I'm, I'm all about the numbers. I love the stats. And so one guy that the stats have always consistently suggested was not the impact player that his scoring average suggests is Rudy Gay. You know, when Memphis traded Rudy Gay to Toronto, it was just panned by the TNT crew. Oh, this is terrible. Memphis should be a contender, and they just traded their leading scorer. All of a sudden, Memphis got better. You know, the same thing happened in Toronto this year. The, the You know, Rudy Gay gets traded. He's their leading scorer, but all of a sudden – Spaces opened up for Kyle Lowry to come in and really establish himself as as an impact player. You know, shots that may have been going to Rudy before are, are a little bit more spread around. So um, I don't know. I, I kind of want to chalk it up to uh, another case of the advanced stats, maybe telling us some things that um, the eye test didn't didn't let us know. Or another case of Bill Simmons's famous Patrick Ewing effect at work here. <laughs> the Ewing theory. That's right. Well, it's uh, time for everybody's favorite segment, Around the NBA in Five. Are you ready, Andre? I cannot wait. All right. Well, let's kick it off. First topic, the Spurs. Back on top of the Western Conference. It almost seems like death and taxis. Every year they get written off, and every year Greg Popovich has them surprising folks. Yeah, they're a machine. They are the New England Patriots of the NBA. Uh, Greg Popovich is the Bill Belichick of the NBA. He's got a system that works so well that he can mix and match players that, that weren't supposed to be that great, but in his system, you know, it's magic. So, um, yeah, yeah, uh, death and taxes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, they're just, like you said, a machine, and I think the Patriots' comparison is a good one. Uh, you know, hopefully they can uh, make it to the uh, the finals again, and hopefully this time knock off the Heat. <laughs> uh, if the Heat make it. So um, Indiana is back on top of the Eastern Conference. How imperative is it for them to hold off the Heat for that number one seed? Uh, you know, at this point, it's, they're in survival mode. They've just got to get their game right, uh, regardless of where they end up in the standings. Or, honestly, they're going to struggle to make it out of the first round, never mind the, the second round with the way they're playing. You know, ultimately, if, if you're going to you know, show down with the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, it would be nice to have home court advantage. But if you can't get there, it doesn't matter. Exactly. And, honestly, I think the number two seed is exactly where Indiana wants to be because um, the number five seed – uh, the Brooklyn Nets, I think, is the best team in the East outside of Miami, arguably outside of Miami. And I really don't think Indiana wants to see them should uh, the Nets make it to the second round. So, um, so yeah, I, I think 
them finishing two might actually be better for them than finishing one. And, of course, we'd all love to see another Paul Pierce-LeBron James matchup. Those are always great. And news came out this week. It's official. Joel Embiid, the seven-foot center from Kansas, is in the draft. What's your take? Where does he go? Yeah, I mean, kind of like Alex said earlier, he he very well could be the number one overall pick. Um, I like him. I think he showed more and has more upside maybe than than the other number one picks. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I personally like him the best of the three. How about you? I do as well, provided his back is okay. I think you know, you, you, know, you always gamble big, and I know in the in the past there have been some shining examples, or I guess uh, the opposite of shining examples of it not working out. It certainly didn't work out for the Portland Trailblazers back in 2007 when they selected Greg Oden over Kevin Durant. But listen, you know Embiid is the real deal. If he's healthy, his athleticism, his quickness for a man that size is just. You know, has defensive stopper written all over it. And if you have a guy like that, it just changes the game for you on both ends. And I think if, if he's there when the Celtics are, uh, are selecting, I think a lot of folks will be happy. I heard that. Well, Mason Plumley blocks LeBron James' shot to secure the win for the Nets. Was it a foul? And does it even matter? It was great to see, and man, Plumlee had a great fourth quarter all around. Not only did he have that uh, block there, and yes, it was a block at the buzzer. If you noticed earlier, he actually had a nice dunk on LeBron, cut the ball along the baseline, and without even putting it at the floor, kind of took it at the basket and avoided LeBron and, and dunked it on him. Of course, LeBron kind of ran out of the frame of the shot, hoping to not get on a poster there. But listen, players all across the league get called, uh, or you know, are the uh, are not the beneficiaries of calls that could go either way. It's going to happen to you, LeBron, once in a while. Stop acting like a little girl and running around the court complaining. <laughs> Just get over it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Mason Plumley has been one of the big surprises of the season for the Nets, and he, he's really a big reason why they're playing so well right now. So, um, you know what? He made a huge play. He deserves to get the call. It's shocking that he got the call or the no call against LeBron. And, um, yeah, uh, let's chalk it up and move right along. I can never keep Miles and Mason Plumlee straight. Anyways, I always think Miles is the guy in the pacer and Mason is the one in the Phoenix. But, of course, it's the other way around. Another name entering the draft this year, Julius Randle, the power forward out of Kentucky, 6'9", had a really impressive run throughout the uh, tournament this year and really kind of, I think, uh, silenced some of the doubts that crept up with him uh, halfway through the season. Uh, What do you think? Where does he go? Yeah, I think Randle helped himself with his, his tournament run. He was the only of the really, really big names to not be out of the tournament after the first weekend, and that helped him. I think he probably goes in the top five. I don't think he goes number one, but, you know, I think top five sounds about right for him. Uh, what do you think? I think that's right. I, I think he could fall as low as seven or eight, uh, you know, depending on what folks think of Noah Vonley from Indiana or a guy like Aaron Gordon from Arizona. You know, I think the top four, I think, unless something drastic happens, is pretty set. The three guys, you know, we mentioned earlier along with Dante Exum. And so, you know, I think even worst case scenario for the Celtics, they're going to end up with a Julius Randle, a Noah Vonley, or an Aaron Gordon. And I think I would, I would be satisfied with that. Well, that'll do it for Around the NBA in 5. Another great show this week, Andre. Oh, yeah. It's the highlight of my week every week. Well, there you go. It, uh, it's great having these guests on. These uh, guests with the national profile always have something interesting to add to the show. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Carlos Andres Mesa, Astrovex, and Steph Legrateau. 
Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is CelticsBeat underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio and Facebook to keep up with the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Alex Kennedy of Basketball Insiders and Brian Mahoney of the Associated Press. For our executive producer, Larry H. Russell, my co-host, Dr. Andre Snellings, I'm Rich Conti. See you next Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio. Oh, my God.